Enter the Peace Broker by Martin Wade. Episode 1. Daily Mail, February the 2nd, 1915. The crew of the steamship that was sunk by German submarine U-21 on Saturday have returned home. The submarine, commanded by Lieutenant Otto Hersing, is still in the Irish Sea. And three other submarines, all of them obviously German, have been reported in St. George's Channel to the south of the waters where U-21 began her exploits. The Berliner Tageblatt, commenting on the attack, said, the German people will hear the news with great pleasure, as England seems to place her main hope on the starving out of Germany. As they deal with us, so we must deal with them. February the 6th, 1915, on board the Lusitania. The voyage is soon to come to an end. It looked as if we might perish, so fierce was the storm. Despite our great size, the ship tossed about like a cork in the rapids. This afternoon, as we approached the Irish coast, our captain decided to hoist the American flag, and this created much excitement. Though the Lusitania is a fine ship, we don't claim it as one of our own but the captain had become greatly alarmed at the possible threat of a German submarine and raised the flag in order to reduce the chance that we'd be torpedoed. Because of his concern, he mapped out a complete program for the rescue of passengers, the launching of lifeboats, etc., etc. But under the stars and stripes, we're arriving safely. Thanks be to God. Colonel Edward House has reached Britain's shores. He's the president's right-hand man, his advisor, though he has, by choice, no ministerial position. Whether he's really a colonel or not is far certain. But his motives are good, we're told. He's here on an unofficial quest to bring peace to the world. He'll visit Paris and Berlin, as well as London, talk to politicians, talk to the great and the good. He can talk to me if he cares to. Uh, the chief here. Find out where Mr. Edward House is staying, will you? House. President Wilson's man. Just arrived. Suggest to him that a conversation with Lord Northcliffe might be high up on his agenda. When I see him, I'll tell him that we're all for peace, but not at any price. A negotiated peace sounds like defeatist talk to me. We'll win in the end. I'm certain we will. And my newspapers are playing a crucial role in securing victory. You know, many people hate me, despise me. They say I'm a bad-tempered bully, vain, egotistical. But they also hate me because I have strong convictions. Because I speak the truth. Now, I'm often told that I should go into politics. I don't need to. I 
own the Times. I own the Daily Mail. Colonel House to the President, London. Dear Governor. Governor is what President Wilson's close friends call him. In London, it seems to me, there is little feeling for anything from this war except a permanent settlement, evacuation from Belgium and France, and indemnity. But no one here believes that Germany is ready for such terms. Germany is now controlled almost wholly by the militarists. And as long as they are pursuing the war successfully, they will not permit any suggestion of peace. I am doing what I can to influence opinion over here in a favorable direction towards you and America. There is considerable criticism of us on the question of neutrality, and I have been told that at a public meeting the other day there was some hissing when America was mentioned. Imperial German Embassy, Washington, April the 22nd. Notice to appear in New York newspapers on Friday, April the 30th, 1915, as follows. Travelers intending to embark for an Atlantic voyage are reminded that a state of war exists between Germany and her allies and Great Britain and her allies. That the zone of war includes the waters adjacent to the British Isles. That vessels flying the flag of Great Britain or any of her allies are liable to destruction in those waters. And the travelers sailing in the war zone in ships of Great Britain or her allies do so at their own risk. Friday, May 7, 1915. Embassy of the United States of America, London. This is Walter Hines Page, ambassador to the court of St. James. A friend of the president in easier times, less friendly now. A dinner was planned for this evening in honor of Colonel House. It must have been at around four o'clock when preparations for the meal were already in hand that I first heard something of what had happened. By seven o'clock, more information had reached me. House, come in. Page, good to see you. Mm. I have some news. Bad, is it? Dinner canceled? <sighs> the Lusitania. Oh, no. Torpedoed. Sunk. Loss of life? I fear so. More than a thousand. Oh, God. How many of ours do we have any idea? Over a hundred, it's thought. Over a hundred. That's Indeed. appalling. Mm. Appalling. We'll declare war. We'll have to. Surely we will. I don't know. We're not ready, of course. Well, that's true, and we should be. Uh -huh. God help us. That's true. But what we have, we use. Absolutely. My God, only a few days ago, you know, I wrote to my son. Told him that a tragedy like this would happen. Uh-huh. I had the same thought myself on the voyage over. Indeed. Mr. Bernstorff, a cunt from Bernstorff, actually, is German ambassador to the United States. Has been for years. Married to a German-American. Resident, of course, in Washington, as a rule. But today... I am in New York. 
at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. The fact that I'm here is enough, I'd have thought, to prove that I knew nothing in advance about the Lusitania. If I'd been warned, I'd have stayed at the embassy, in seclusion, away from the press. Mr. Bernstorff! <sighs> I bought an evening paper. That's when I learned the news. I'd like to ask you a few questions. The truth is, I've no way of telling whether the sinking was a deliberate act. As far as I'm aware, the officer responsible couldn't have been certain which particular vessel he was attacking. The planned destruction of a vessel such as the Lusitania, with so many passengers on board. I mean, I, I'd have considered it to be out of the question for, for humanitarian reasons, and also for reasons of policy. An event as unfortunate as this, it, it, it's unnecessarily provocative. Two particular points should be borne in mind. First, it's, it's very difficult for our naval forces to avoid such incidents without reducing the effectiveness of the submarine blockade around Great Britain. Second, it's more than likely that part of the Lusitania's cargo included a large amount of ammunition. This would explain why the ship went down so quickly, with the consequent heavy death toll. I won't leave my room tonight. See if I can slip out quietly tomorrow. The nation is sad as can be. A message came over the sea. A thousand or more who sailed from our shore have gone to eternity. It's time they were stopping this warfare if women and children must drown. Many brave hearts went to sleep in the deep when the Lusitania went down. Berlin, May the 8th. Sinking of the Lusitania by a German submarine was the headline in our German paper, but there were no details of importance. This is Evelyn, Countess Blücher, an Englishwoman. Her husband is Count Gerhard Blücher, a descendant of the Prussian general who was on our side at Waterloo. A great loss of life, the newspaper report indicated, had been the just punishment for a liner that was carrying munitions to the enemy of Germany. The fact that America is providing these munitions is regarded as a breach of neutrality and the loss of American lives is an appropriate punishment. Germans here are amazed at what has happened, oh yes. But they're proud, also, of what one little submarine could do. <laughs> what a wonderful method of warfare it is. Soon England must give in, surely. Soon Germany must become mistress of the seas. Colonel House to the President, London, May 9th, 1915. Dear Governor, I believe immediate demand should be made upon Germany for assurance that an incident such as this shall not occur again. Failing which, we should make it clear that we expect to take such measures as are necessary to ensure the safety of American citizens. If war follows, it will not be a new war but an endeavor to end more speedily an old one, and our intervention will save rather than increase the loss of life. 
America has come to a parting of the ways when she must decide whether she stands for civilized or uncivilized warfare. Our action in this crisis will determine the part we will play when peace is made and how far we may influence a settlement for the lasting good of humanity. We are about to be weighed in the balance and our position amongst nations will be assessed by mankind. The Daily Mail, the paper that persistently forewarned the public about the war. May the 11th, 1915. What will Mr. Wilson do in response to the Hun's most cowardly crime? There is as yet no answer from Washington. Few countries have ever been placed in a more awkward position than has the United States by the sinking of the Lusitania. A tornado of the fiercest indignation is raging from Maine to California. It is directed chiefly at Germany, but also against the British Admiralty on account of their alleged irresponsibility in failing to safeguard a vessel of such note. The American government is clearly bound to take action of some sort. But what? American Embassy. Have a seat. London. You'll have got the news, I suppose. The speech in Philadelphia? Yes. Woodrow Wilson too proud to fight. <sighs> yes. There yes. is such a thing as a nation being so right that it does not need to convince others by force. Humiliating. Shocking. Depressing. People here, they just won't understand. Why would they? If he's not inclined to declare war straight away, he should at least tell the Germans that they've committed a crime against humanity. He should break off relations. Well, will he? I wouldn't bet on it. Colonel, I am not ignorant of the horrors of war. My God, living in Britain, I hear about them every day. But we, we can't stand back. We can't always be peacemongers. Firm action's required, Colonel. Firm action. Aside from anything else, there's national honor at stake. It seems to me, I've been thinking and reading seems to me that men's ambitions and actions are invariably determined by their antecedents. Great men, great deeds. In Europe, Alexander, Caesar, and Napoleon. Because of them, every monarch in Europe asks himself, can I do what they did? Perhaps I can, and if I can, why shouldn't I? And the Kaiser, you think, is no exception. He has Napoleonic tendencies. Absolutely. He's yeah. following tradition. We Americans, we've kept clear of all that business. We look to Washington, not Bonaparte. Yeah. But you see, the aggressive policy of Germany today, it's the same as George III's taxation without representation, only more virulent and further reaching. It must be fought. Democracy must take on autocracy. Germany defeated will allow the doctrine of our founding fathers to spread throughout the world. <laughs>
I've drafted a cablegram to the president uh, along these lines, here to cast an eye. It was very long. Yes. I'll sit down. Washington. Cipher telegram from Count von Bernstorff to the Foreign Ministry, Berlin. Lusitania incident has caused great excitement here, but I hope that no serious consequences will ensue. Mr. Wilson regards matters calmly. I recommend expression of regret for loss of so many American lives, but without admission of responsibility. Berlin. Countess Blücher. The hatred of England, English policies, English culture, is beyond description here. Germany has never been able to record English atrocities that would stand the test of proof, nor even cases of unjust treatment of prisoners. Yet I am convinced that if a Belgian, a Frenchman, a Russian and an Englishman were placed at the mercy of a German, it would be the Englishman he'd kill first. Washington. Cipher telegram. I again recommend that we should endeavor to bring about a move towards mediation in some form, in case the position here becomes critical. I also suggest that we renew our offer to give up submarine warfare, provided that England adheres to the principles of international law and abandons her policy of the starvation of Germany. May the 13th. President Wilson sends a note to the German imperial government. The American Embassy, London. I'll go on, shall I? Please. American citizens act within their indisputable rights in traveling wherever their legitimate business calls them on the high seas, and they exercise those rights in what should be the well-justified confidence that their lives will not be endangered by acts done in clear violation of universally acknowledged international obligations. Uh -huh. The president then refers to the notice that was published in the New York papers warning American citizens that they were at peril if they traveled by sea. Absolutely. This was unacceptable, says the president. This can't be regarded in any way as excusing the attack on the Lusitania and the consequent loss of life. Good. He talks about the need for expressions of regret. Offers of reparation, so far as reparation is possible for what has occurred. Good. And he expects Germany to take immediate steps to prevent a recurrence of anything which is, uh, what's his phrase? Uh, subversive. Uh, subversive of the principles of warfare. Good. It's not an ultimatum. No, it's not. But I telegraphed the president, congratulating him. A short cable, this one. Yes. He's... He's showing wisdom and restraint, one might say. I only hope he's not kidding himself. Mm. More of our people will lose their lives. This note of his won't put a stop to that. The German leaders are too pig ignorant. That's it. And sooner or later, House, they'll drive us into the war. The tune will have to be called. It's only a question of time. I'm right, am I not? London. 
May 19, 1915. I've telegraphed Ambassador Gerard in Berlin, asking if he might be able to induce the German government to answer the President's note by means of a proposal, namely, that if England will, without question, permit foodstuffs to go to neutral ports, Germany will discontinue her submarine warfare. My purpose is to place the President clearly in the right, so that if trouble comes between Germany and ourselves, the President will be seen to have done everything he could to prevent it. The American Embassy, London. I'll be honest, House. I wasn't happy with the idea. If Germany had endorsed the proposal but England had rejected it, there would have been bad feeling between England and America. There would, I admit. I thought it was worth the effort, though. Anyway, Germany said no thank you. Because of the blockade, mm -hmm. her women and children are dying of hunger, so we're told. A terrible, terrible situation. But she won't play ball. No. She'll keep on with submarines, no matter what the cost. They're building new ones, bigger ones. Yes, Paige, I heard. More deaths of our people. Yes, war may be inevitable. <laughs> may be an inevitable house. They don't quite go together. I'm obliged to you. I'll rephrase. I fear the worst, and my usefulness here is at an end. What? Time to go home? I've cabled the president. The St. Paul sails on Saturday. When you see when him? When I see him, I'll tell him that, assuming we do enter the war, it mustn't be milk and water stuff. Indeed. We need all our strength, all our vitality and energy. <laughs> Fight the fight so that Europe will remember for a long, long time. What happens when a peaceful nation such as ours is provoked into conflict? Yes, do all that, please. And have a safe voyage. The Daily Mail, May the 26th, 1915. The collapse of the late government was due in part to the failure of Sir John French's appeals to the War Office for a larger proportion of high-explosive shells. Now, a new post has been created, that of Minister of Munitions, and it is embodied in the powerful and energetic person of Mr. Lloyd George. This appointment meets a great many of the Daily Mail's criticisms regarding the conduct of the war, and we think it will satisfy the country. Berlin. Countess Blücher. It is now a month since the Lusitania was torpedoed. Even those Germans who admired the incident from a scientific, technical point of view seem in their innermost hearts ashamed of it and don't care to defend it. Declare, indeed, that politically it was a mistake. The Kaiser, I believe, thoroughly disapproved of it. Washington, June the 2nd. A cipher telegram to the Foreign Ministry Berlin. The seriousness of the present situation here persuaded me to seek an interview with President Wilson. He repeatedly stressed that the question of indemnification for the loss of American lives was only of secondary importance. He was concerned with the humanitarian aspect. His main object was the complete cessation of submarine warfare and restoring the freedom of the seas. The war he stated, could only be decided by mutual understanding 
and Germany's voluntary cessation of the submarine campaign would appeal to the world's moral sense and would encourage America to press the British government to lift their blockade. Reliable reports from London indicate that the cabinet would agree to do so. Wilson hopes that this might be the first stage in a large-scale peace movement, which he would introduce as head of the leading neutral powers. I wish him luck. London. Lord Northcliffe. The day before Colonel House is due to leave these shores, he has lunch with our former Prime Minister, Mr. Belfer. Arthur James Belfer is rather idle, old, worn and weary. But he shared my view about the need for munitions. It's only a matter of a few days since Balfour replaced Churchill as First Lord of the Admiralty. And one of his first acts in his new position is to promise Colonel House that the British Navy will provide as effective a protection for him as it can. <laughs> June 8, 1915. Two destroyers escorted us through the war zone. Much as I appreciate the thought behind the gesture, particularly if a submarine or two was frightened off as a result, I'd have preferred it if the ships hadn't kept so close to us and caused such excitement among the passengers here. I have misgivings as to what the American press will say if they get to hear about the escort and discover in whose honor it was arranged. I'd be very unhappy if my influence as the president's intermediary were to be lessened as the result of newspaper reports. There is, after all, a lot of work to do. It's time they were stopping this warfare If women and children must drown Many brave hearts went to sleep in the deep when the Lusitania went down. In episode one of Enter the Peace Broker by Martin Wade, Lord Northcliffe was played by Henry Goodman, Colonel House by Nathan Osgood, Walter Heinz Page by William Hope, Count von Bernstorff by Chris Pavlo, Kurt Riesler by Gunnar Corthry, and Countess, later Princess Blucher, by Jasmine Hyde. Enter the Peace Broker is a Chrome Radio production. It was directed by Elizabeth Rigby, with sound design by David Chilton, songs performed by Jessica Walker, with James Holmes on piano. The script consultant was Professor Sir Hugh Strawn, and the producer was Katrina Oliphant. With thanks to the Rothermere Foundation,